You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for Best Picture Week and a Half. <laughs> As we're making our way through all the 92nd Academy Awards Best Picture nominated films, we're up to number five now? Six. 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 Number six now? <laughs> I'll get there eventually. There's only so many numbers. You're going to run out. Uh, we're up to number six, which, uh, as we teased yesterday, is 1917. Uh, Sam Mendes' World War One epic, uh, which, of course, is just coming off of winning Best Picture and Best Director at the uh, Golden Globes, a much more prestigious awards than the Academy could ever hope for. Uh, but we're going to cover 1917. Uh, hopefully, we'll be done this in one take let's go uh, <laughs> my name is colin and today is not a good day to be a nazi no wrong movie wrong war sorry <laughs> and my name is ben and cheer up this time next week it'll be chicken dinner <laughs> um <laughs> we're really battling over a line to start this movie with the only two things spoken in this movie <laughs> yeah well like, that's the thing is that um yeah, I mean, A, I'll just start out and say this movie is incredible. I mean, I've got so much I want to talk about with this. I'll try to keep it, you know, around half an hour like we normally do. Uh, but, it, it, like, it is a different movie. It's a very different movie than uh, I think I even expected. You know, I, I, I knew that this was going to be a war movie in one take. But you, you look at the trailers. I mean, a trailer can't really give you an idea of what a movie like this is going to be like because – a trailer's cutting all over the place. <laughs> you know, you have to kind of know going in that this is like a single shot movie, although it's the, it's a cheated single shot. But for the, for the sake of the audience, where the audience is watching, you're watching one long take. You're watching a story unfold almost in real time and looking at basically, you know, from the, not from the point of view of the characters, but following the characters throughout the entire mission they have almost in real time uh, and there's not a lot of talking that goes on so <laughs> this isn't one where we could come up with a lot of great quotes but I mean I just want to say to start with like there are probably only a handful of times I've ever sat in a movie theater and several times throughout the movie forgotten I was in a movie theater like it, it's 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 a one-of-a-kind experience and I don't know how to properly explain it it's it's just like I'm, I'm so into the movie, and I'm so uh, fixated on what's on screen that a couple of times I almost would like snap out of it. I look around, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm still sitting in the theater. Like you'd forget where you are. You're just that into the movie, and I don't know if it helps that I was seeing it on big screen because I was disappointed I didn't get to see this in IMAX. You know, I only got to see it on traditional big screen. Uh, <laughs> But I wonder if this would be the same experience. I mean, I, I think you watch this on a small screen. Uh, is this? Oh, sorry, you legally watch this on a small screen, right? Yes, you remember the academy. I am. Yes. Uh, but like, I don't know. Is this? Am I alone? Is this something where it is? That's where I'm kind of torn. Is this such a great theatrical experience that maybe it would lose something when you watch it on, you know, on uh, DVD or Blu-ray or, or streaming? Uh, but for what I did see, this was like a once-in-a-lifetime event. I just want to quickly point out, too, that um, a couple of months ago, we got a one-star review on iTunes and um, we're told that the quality wasn't really good. It's been a while since we've gotten a one-star iTunes review, so we're actually going for one today. So, Colin's just decided to lessen the quality of his side of the recording today, just purely because we're, we're due for a one-star review, all right? Thank you, Calgary That's Internet. Right. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> was I cutting out a bunch? No, no, you were you were fine. It's just you kind of sound like you're in a booth um, underwater, but that's fine oh, okay. because you're in Calgary <laughs> and I've been there and I know that's what the city's like, so that's all good. Yeah, it was a very echoey hotel room here. Yes, indeed. Go Flames. Battle of Alberta happening while we're recording this. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, I sadly haven't seen this on the big screen, so I can't really compare. I've only got my small screen uh, official uh, disc sent to me by the Academy of Motion Pictures. Because, <laughs> <laughs> again, I'm a, I'm a card-carrying paid member of the Academy. Proud as punch. Card-carrying? Whoa, okay. Yeah, well, look, you know, just got to be honest here. Um, but, look, so, I mean, I, I really was wanting to see this on the big screen, like, really was, um, and in a way, though, I think if we had have seen this on the big screen, Mallory would have walked out, because she pretty much got 20 minutes into this and wanted me to stop it, because she just thought it was a bit too confronting, um, but she ended up sitting through the whole thing, and I'll talk about that after, but, yeah, I agree with you, this is just an absolute, I mean, an amazing piece of cinema, like, you, you generally always remember when you see these big event films that people are going to be talking about forever, and just this was just absolutely enthralling, and I think that it, it you really do forget you're watching a, a movie sometimes because it's just the way this continuous one shot you know appears to be happening. You just like literally glued to the screen, like you just do not want to take your eyes off it because you, you're noticing things all the time and just little subtle bits and everything along the way. And uh, you're a bit like me in terms of like you're a bit technically minded, so you're always kind of going, "Oh, that's clearly a cut there," and "Oh, a bit stinky, yeah. that's a cut there." Um, you know, things like that. But mm-hmm. it just makes it so gritty and realistic and that just adds to it. And, like, when you're doing a movie about war, which is already going to be incredibly confronting, you know, no matter what it is. You get Jojo Rabbit, but we talked about that yesterday uh, or two days ago, whenever it was. Um, like, it's it's going to be confronting anyway, but, like, you take it and make it like this, it's just, it's like, holy crap, this is just absolutely incredible. It remind, there, there was, we talked about it, um, would have been about a year ago now, we did this episode on our Third Watch coverage, but um, the, the 100th episode of Third Watch was called A Call for Help, and basically it was filled with six one-take continuous shots, all filmed basically in this one area, and it was just, it was incredible, and it was one of the best episodes of Third Watch, it's really, really cleverly done. And it reminds me a lot of that, in obviously because of the one-take aspect, and it just, it, it makes me wonder, has, has this been, you know, done before on other TV and movie things, because I'd love to watch it, because this makes it, it just... It has. Well, there you go. So it makes it very much more a, a, a unique way of watching it there. I think it makes it so much more compelling. And, yeah, I mean, I love this movie. This was incredible. If, if I had seen this movie before we did our top ten movies of the decade last year, I mean, I included Joker on that list. Um, this would be probably on it too, just very close behind Joker. Yeah, incredible movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, this is the other thing. You know, I think that... If this goes on to win Best Picture, there is probably going to be the backlash of people saying it only won because it used a gimmick and stuff like that. Like, I can already hear the complaints as they're about to happen, but I think there's a difference. I mean, this isn't just, you know, showy and uh, a gimmick, let's get people interested with, like, a single shot. Like, it's it's done in the same way that the D-Day sequences in Save a Private Ryan were done, just being like so gritty and so real and, you know, all with extras and, you know, minimal special effects. Saving Private Ryan did that because nobody had ever seen a war movie that made you feel like you were in the battle before. Now, Saving Private Ryan was 21 years ago. Um, 
everybody can make Saving Private Ryan now. That doesn't take away from Saving Private Ryan, but that's just it's it, we're used to that as an audience. So how do you make a war movie and up the ante and make the audience feel like they are in it? They're like they're in the battle, feel like the horrors of war. Even though I wouldn't say this movie is like as horrifying as you know what Saving Private Ryan presents, but you really do feel just the, like the, the the intensity and uh, the terror at times, uh, you know, of what this would be like, which the casting helps that as well. I'll talk about you know, it a little bit, but this is more than just a gimmick. It is a way that makes you feel like you're there and makes it feel more real that, I think we've lost the same way that, you know, war movies made in the 50s and 60s were incredibly impressed with the time. By the time you got to the 70s and 80s, you had to do a little bit more. You had to get, you know, dirtier and grittier, like with Platoon. And then you had to get completely realistic and, you know, uh, violent to the point of being heartbreaking, like Stephen Private Ryan. This is the, the next evolution in war movies. And would it ever work again? I don't know. But in this case, it actually works more than just that's so visually impressive. It works to, to make you so believe the story that it just makes it that much more powerful. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, you and I are never going to know. And for most people, we're never going to know what it's like to, to, to go to war. And it's, it's, it's just, it's obviously something that I guess words really can't put into to feelings or, or film really can't do it. So you got to do your best that you can. But I think, as you said, it kind of, it just makes it feel like you're there, just the way it's kind of presented. And you're following basically two guys, really, just kind of from the beginning of giving a mission to taking out this mission. And it's just, it's a fairly standard mission that sounds like it on paper, uh, which has obviously got dire consequences. And it's just, it's fascinating how it's all done. And like the bit that Mallory really kind of felt disturbed with and didn't want to sort of watch it anymore is kind of at the very beginning of the movie when they're kind of having to cross this dangerous area to get to another point. And just like, mm-hmm. it's just subtle things that are happening in the background. Like you just, you see them crossing like a ditch where obviously a battle has happened before and there's just dead bodies kind of there. And it's just, it's yeah. it's not quite done like Saving Private Ryan where you've got somebody on the beach with their guts hanging out of their stomach going, medic, medic, you know what I mean? Like it's very, you know, graphic and confronting that way but it's just done it's in one subtler. of those yeah it is but it's like it's it's still i can see why mallory was disturbed and wanted to not watch it because she's not you know really into that sort of thing so but it, it like it even like you know you sort of notice it and when you realize what you're looking at you're like holy crap that's whoa that's jesus that's a bit full-on so mm-hmm. and i think kind of that adds to it because again like as you're saying like saving private ryan like that opening sequence is just infamous for just showing the absolute atrocities of war and and it it does it you know as as i said like you and i've never been to war so i'm guessing that's as close as you can maybe get it to showing it but i mean this is just some Mm -hmm. of the little things that you think about that would happen in war like there would just be dead bodies laying around for a while you know it's not like you're gonna have a cleaner coming in okay that battle's over let's sweep up the bodies you know what i mean and it's just and then there's another sequence in the movie where he's kind of crossing a river and there's just this part of the river where there's just a pile of bodies all in this corner on Mm -hmm. logs and it's just yeah, it just makes you think about some of the smaller, finer details of this that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think about. And it just, it adds to the overall feel of it. And yeah, you feel like you're there, which just makes it such a more powerful movie. Yeah, and it's, like you were saying, it's it's not presented in a way that's so gory, that's so graphic. It's so subtle and you barely notice what it is. Like, you, you have to really look closely. And that's where kind of the long, continuous shot works, whereas this movie cutting all over the place, it wouldn't. Because if you are cutting, you know, every five to ten seconds even, you need to show the audience what you want them to see. You're doing it in a single take. You can see just in the corner of the screen, you know, uh, a dead body floating in the water that's face down. 
if this were, you know, a five second shot, you would need to show that full dead body and all its graphicness, like you said, with his guts hanging out for the audience to understand there's a dead body there. One continuous shot, it can be just in the corner or the bottom of the screen and then slowly float across the corner and the bottom of the screen and you're watching it for 20 seconds. You're only seeing a glimpse of it, which is mostly what this movie shows is just glimpses of that. But it, it's just completely different from what you would get in another movie. So, so I mean, again, another good point as to how this isn't just a gimmick to sell a movie or to, to make it something, you know, as like a big theatrical experience. It's something that is presenting a movie in a way we've never seen before. Yeah. And I think like, I can definitely see the, the, that point you're making that if it wins, people will kind of claim it's a gimmick, but you, you know, I think there's, this is when you have a movie that comes along and it just is a groundbreaking piece of cinema. I think it's important to, to reward that and kind of look at that yeah. as something unique. And, you know, and that's what generally the Oscars often have done in the past i think think about like the only one i can just think of right now is avatar right when avatar came out that was groundbreaking at the mm-hmm. time and everybody thought that was a shoe in to win best picture it ultimately didn't win best picture but it still got nominated i don't think it deserved to win best picture i don't think Avatar's that good of a no. film <laughs> that it should have won a best picture but i think this is a different movie because like and i and i know i'm not the voice for all cinema goers in the world but like i remember watching avatar going okay well that was fine it looked good but like i didn't walk out of the movie going holy fuck that was the most groundbreaking thing i've ever seen um like mm-hmm. it was just it was fine whereas this i literally was like wow that was just incredible and i think more people are having that reaction with this because it is it is more of a this is a movie that in 10 years time i feel you will look back on and go wow that was incredible whereas we're already looking back at avatar now going okay well what were we thinking in mm-hmm. 2009? Um, so I think kind of that's the difference. And I think that in 50 years' time, when you look at the winners of the Academy Awards, and if this wins it, I think that, you know, we can easily go, well, this was groundbreaking for the time. No different to, you know, Ben-Hur and all these movies in the past that won Oscars at the time that were groundbreaking that clearly deserved it for not only the great film but the technical achievements. And I think that's, to mm-hmm. me, I think that's an important aspect. You should be rewarding it for, obviously, a great film. But if there's a key technical aspect to this movie, like cinematography, this will win, 100% will win. Yeah. But, like, I think that's it's got enough of a technical achievement on this movie that that, to me, gives it a huge advantage in the Best Picture race to me. Yeah, I think that that kind of gets avoided sometimes, too. If something is really dazzling technically... Sometimes the argument is, well, that's all it has going for it. And I, I, and I, I kind of make that argument sometimes as well. Like Avatar is a perfect example. I remember seeing that and thinking, yeah, it, visually it looks great. It looks like anything I've ever, uh, never seen before. But I instantly knew as soon as I walked out of that theater, this story will not hold up because this story has been told a million times in better ways as a story. And effects will always, the novelty will always wear off with effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this movie, obviously, there is a lot of visual effects in it. And how much, I don't really know, but it's nominated in visual effects. But effects will only be impressive for five, ten years tops, and then it's going to become dated. The effects in Avatar are already slightly dated. So I knew when Avatar came out, this movie's going to have to stand on the merits of its story and how effective it is as a story in five or ten years and i knew and i had arguments with people the day it came out saying this movie will be forgotten and it, it kind of has been forgotten this is different because the visuals only enhance the story like would this story have been as interesting if it wasn't told in one shot no but the the one shot you don't leave this movie thinking about that one shot was incredible. You leave this movie thinking about how powerful the ending it is and how powerful the story is. And the story is very simple. It's just 
two young soldiers given this mission of, you know, we think that the uh, the the enemy has pulled out from their position. Their front line has changed. We want you to go and see if there's anybody in their trenches. You know? And then, uh, okay, go stop. If that happens, then go and stop this attack that we're supposed to mount, you know, uh, you know, I don't know how many kilometers away, uh, because it's going to be an ambush. So it's just two guys who set on this mission. And it very much, it's very much the same way I felt about Saving Private Ryan. The Saving Private Ryan, very simple story. But the emotions were very real in Saving Private Ryan. When you, there, there were very simple scenes, you know, like the one where Giovanni Rabisi's character character is shot that couldn't have been pulled off as well in a different movie on script on paper very basic could have even been a straight to video war movie the way it was pulled off was brilliant and that's the way i feel about this movie very simple story but there are moments in this movie where like my jaw was dropping not just because of the visuals but because of how powerful the story is the, the final sequence which is shown in the trailers with one of the soldiers running across as, as soldiers are climbing over the trench is one of the most powerful, you know, 30, 60 seconds I've ever seen in a movie. Just, but it's only that way because the whole story built up to that point. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that you said it's a very, it's a very simple story. Like this is maybe the most simplest story out of all the best picture nominees. Um, but mm. again, when you've got it set in this background, like in this, you know, where it's set, like it's, it's going to be so powerful. And the thing that I loved reading about what this was, like Sam Mendes basically, I think, based this on, was it his uncle or his grandfather or something his like grandfather, that? Grandfather, yeah. Yeah, and like based on just some stories he was told. So, I mean, it's it's generally a war movie is always got the whole based on a true story thing, right? Like, you know, Dunkirk mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, Saving Private Ryan. Like, these things kind of generally, you know you're going to watch it. It's very rare that you would have a war movie fictionalized set in like World War One or World War Two. Now, I'm not saying this is fictionalized because, again, it's based on things that were told him. But it's not like this is a very famous battle that has been told through the ages and everything along those lines. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of just loosely based on it. And I think that also adds to more of a... A unique aspect of this because think about Dunkirk like I think most people knew about Dunkirk and at least if you didn't you could just jump on Wikipedia yeah. and look at it you know what I mean like you generally know what you're going to get whereas this one like I had no clue like I kind of had no idea about any of this clearly kind of it adds to the tension of it and I think it just it makes it such more of a, a powerful story the way they're they're going across with it and telling it but um yeah, it's just it's just it's so fascinating to think that it's just literally two guys basically having to go from point A to point B to tell somebody something. That's essentially what it is. But I mean, this is Sam Mendes, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. American Beauty made my top fifty movies of all time. I fucking love American Beauty, and again, it's such a simple story. It really is. Mm-hmm. He made a plastic bag look artistic, and you know, you see what it did. Think about Skyfall. Skyfall's kind of basic. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's like, it is. <laughs> It's, it's a guy who's angry at, you know, his former employer. And then basically they set a Home Alone trap and Bond has some flashes back to where he grew up. Literally all it is. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, Spectre gets a little bit more complicated, but at the end of the day, Spectre's still just taking it to a next level. And I think Sam Mendes is just having a bit more fun with it. This, I mean, he's only, this is only the third movie he's directed all decade, isn't it? Like, he only did two James Bond movies and 1917, if I'm not mistaken. So he, he clearly has a way about him and he, the way he tells things and shows things visually and I, I really feel like I need to go back and watch more Sam Mendes movies because I mean four movies oh, of Sam Mendes I absolutely love um, so I, I kind of need to um, see what I've missed over the years because I feel like I would enjoy all the other ones he's put out um, for the record 
prior to, well, not counting Skyfall, because Bond's going to be number one for me. But prior to seeing 1917, uh, my two favorite Sam Mendes movies weren't even American Beauty. That were the two movies he made after that, Road to Perdition and Jarhead. Uh, Road to Perdition is, uh, that's the movie where I thought there is no way this guy's, like, I, I, I was amazing to me that that never got a Best Picture nomination, because not only did I think this is the best movie of this year, I thought, I, still to this day, I'm like, has there been a better movie since Road to Perdition? Like, that's how good that movie is. And then Jarhead, you know, not quite to the same level as 1917 or Road to Perdition, but it's a war movie. Uh, you know, we're essentially soldiers really want a battle and the battle never comes. So these soldiers kind of start going crazy. It's, it's again, a totally unique type of war story. Uh, but definitely go back and watch those two, Road to Perdition and Jarhead. You know, he follows that period after that where he was making just straight dramas like Revolutionary Road, which was just reuniting Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. It was kind of an okay movie. And then Away We Go, I never actually got all the way through. Um, but yeah, it's so good to see him now kind of returning to his roots of just making not his roots not as in like a war movie because he's done that before but just taking an original uh, doing an original take on something because even road to perdition it was a gangster movie but it just felt it felt like a sam mendes movie and i think that's the best thing about him is that he there's something so big about the scale of sam mendes movies american beauty's perfect example very tiny movie i don't even know what the budget is but it felt like it was a hundred million dollars you know and that's just something he brings to it i mean sam mendes is the star it's not just because we won't only have two actors. They have more than a single scene in this movie. Uh, you have two soldiers, uh, complete unknown guys. I didn't even realize that one of these guys, um, the one whose brother uh, is participating in this, you know, sneak attack, they think, or whatever, uh, I, I could never recognize him. He was on Game of Thrones. He was on Game of Thrones when he was like, barely hit puberty. Uh, it looks totally different now. And then the other guy, I thought... If anybody from this really should have gotten an Oscar nomination, like not there's many acting things you can give for a movie with just two guys walking, but this other guy, George McKay, incredible performance in this movie. Like, like unbelievable. And I don't even think he's gotten like any critics awards or anything from this. Yeah, that really baffled me too, because I looked that up as well. And I 100% agree. He's amazing. He really is amazing. Um, and it's just, I don't understand why he's not getting any love. Um, I mean, <laughs> it is a stacked field this year, and the only movie I haven't seen um, of any of the best, best actor ones is Pain and Glory, so I don't know how good Antonio Banderas is. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's baffling that he hasn't seemingly got anything out of it, um, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I just, I, just, I just don't understand it. it. Maybe it is just simply it's one of those years where you've just got such big names, you know, your DiCaprio's and your Phoenix's and people like that, Banderas, there's just no room for him. So, um, yeah, I don't know. And like, this is a movie, too, where, like, it's a, it's a small cast. Um, mm-hmm. The majority of the actors are, I wouldn't say big household names. Like, I've never seen Game of Thrones, so it doesn't, you know, I don't know who he is. I mean, Colin Firth is in this movie. Benedict Cumberbatch is in this movie. They're kind of the only two, I guess, recognisable names. I mean, Andrew Scott, I guess, um, you know, uh, Demby. Mark Strong's recognisable. Yeah, 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 um, true. Um, so, I mean, a couple. But, um, yeah, it's just it's still, like, it, it, it relies so heavily on the performance of the main two guys. Um, and just George mm-hmm. McKay is just, yeah, wh- wh- how would this movie have been if anybody else? Like, I, I mean, I don't know who this guy is, but how he's not getting recurred, uh, more credit for it. And... Yeah, I mean, I this guy should be in more things because he's great. Yeah, and I already mentioned the last episode, you know, I don't like 
snubs because if you're going to say snubs you should say somebody else should be knocked out you know i i'm hoping by the time the oscars come i'll have seen painting glory and two popes um but like i would have swapped to caprio and no knock against the caprio but i would have swapped to caprio for this you know for george mckay uh not adam driver or joaquin phoenix but i mean at least dicaprio it's just, he, he he really brings something to this movie and it, it almost frustrates me that when everybody's talking about snubs for political reasons or that this wasn't included because of this this was included because of this that you have this truly incredible actor who just got no attention um you mentioned that the uh, other actors in there, I mean, basically your big names are just cameos. No, very they're, much so. <laughs> they're probably on screen for like two, three minutes. I mean, the most is probably, I'm, I'm trying to think, would you say Mark Strong probably has the most out of all these? And it's maybe only because he he has one scene, but he sort of disappears halfway through the scene and then comes back at the yeah. end of that scene. Well, I think it's all kind of equal. Yeah, I mean, probably. But, um, I mean... Gosh, like, it's just, they're just all kind of in periods of the movie. Like, Colin Firth is at the beginning, boom, thanks, Colin Firth, you've, you've gone. Then um, then Mark Strong kind of comes into it, cool, thanks, Mark, see you later, bye. Yeah. And then I didn't even know Benedict Cumberbatch was in this movie. And then all of a sudden, they walked in this room, and there he is, I'm like, holy crap, it's Benedict Cumberbatch! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he's gone. So, it's like, that's it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think they kind of almost share the screen equally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all these two guys. I mean, the story, uh, it, 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 I can see where, you know, he, this would have been based on stories he was told from his grandfather or whatever, because they all feel real. They all feel like these are just regular things that happen in war. And it, it, it feels very condensed, but like this probably was something where his grandfather told him, yeah, there was this one time where there was this abandoned farmhouse or whatever. And then there were planes that were going over, head and we didn't know which was with there was this time we were going through an an abandoned enemy trench or there was this time when you know we were sneaking out of this town in the middle of the night and we found somebody hidden inside a wall like this is this is just spoiling the setup for scenes uh but it's very episodic in a way but yet just the idea I, i think it is partly just going back to george mckay it's the fact that we really get it more from his point of view the personal side of this mission is that the other guy has a brother you know that is about to participate in this sneak attack uh but you don't really feel any of you know a need to complete this mission in fact george mckay kind of starts out the movie saying no do we really need to do this couldn't we wait a little bit longer and then by the end of it he's like we gotta do this we gotta do this you know i gotta stop this uh it's just those final moments like every sequence just builds and then visually i just want to talk about the effects here kind of everything on a technical level i mean we're going to talk about the nominations it has but where I'm going to be torn as to what this could or won't win is between production design and visual effects, <laughs> because there are scenes that take place in these trenches where I can't understand how they can physically make that shot work. I mean, you're mm. watching them run through a trench, having people shove past them, and there's a camera in there, and, and I can't even figure out how that would be physically possible to make this work. If they did make it work, it's one of the most brilliantly constructed sets I've ever seen. Yeah. If this is visually, visual effects, it's one of the most incredible visual effects shots I've ever seen. And that would be a basic visual effects. And if this does end up winning in the visual effects category, I mean, I think that's a victory because we tend to always see these big special effects movies win – and this probably has a ton of effects to it, but it is so seamless that I'm questioning which are effect shots and which are real. 
I completely agree because, like, you know, going back to saying that, like, yeah, there are definitely moments in this movie where you're like, okay, clearly there's a cut there or clearly there's a cut there. But there have to be other ones where it's just you just can't tell because there are there are super long continuous shots and as you were saying in certain areas where they're in a trench or somebody's running or they're in a river and it's just it's just it's so perfectly done that it's just impossible to tell what is is not real and what's being done post-production and just everything along those lines and even some of those sequences walking through the trenches when you how many hundreds of extras have you got kind of, and they're all having their conversations and they're all doing this, they're all doing that, and some of them even just bump into each other and have a brief moment and go back to their other conversations. There's a moment there Mm -hmm. where somebody's, what, singing a song and it's kind of just in this forest and it's just it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. Like, I actually really do wish I had seen this on a big screen now, because I could imagine it would have been um, you know, an amazing experience, but it's kind of, I mean, you look at the visual the visual effects category, right, and I think kind of the favourite is probably Avengers Endgame, and fair enough, I mean, it was $300 million in it, you know, lots of special effects, but again, that's kind of like as that thing that you're saying, it's very flashy, it's very, that's what you kind of expect, where it's sometimes these subtler films where, you know, you just, you, you're kind of really questioning where they did it, but it obviously was good enough and smart enough that it gets this nomination because what's it up against? The Irishman, okay, de-aging effects, fair enough. The Lion King, shut the fuck up. If that wins, I quit. Uh, and Rise of Skywalker, I don't want the Rise of Skywalker to have an Academy Award. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, great special effects, don't get me wrong, but still. Um, and what's actually interesting is that Dominic is, I'm guessing it's Tui, He's nominated on both 1917 and The Rise of Skywalker for Best Visual Effects. Huh. So, there you go. He worked on both. He might be a two-time loser. We never know. He uh, could be. Could be a tie. Could be a two-time <laughs> winner. Um, there was, when you mentioned if this had ever been done before, I mean, I'm sure a couple of people tried this. There was one of the, like, big, ambitious movie that tried this before. And I remember getting the movie, you know, when it first came out because – it sounded really interesting. It was a movie called Russian Ark. It was a Russian movie that was basically about going through a museum, like a, a, a Russian history museum, but the museum sort of comes to life around you, so you go from one exhibit to the other. It, it was, you know, much smaller in scale than this, but it was one of these things where I thought, wow, that's a brilliant idea, but the story didn't stick with me. Whereas with this, like, I'm dying to see it again, not even just because, you know, I want to see, oh, look at that long shot, because I just, I love this story. And uh, going back to what you said before, like if if I could rewrite my best of the decade list, I mean, this is instantly on there. It's probably pretty close to the top, you know, which might give you a, a good idea where this is going to finish in our rankings, at least up until this point. Um, but I mean, it, it's just it's such a great movie. And I, I, I really do want to see this again. Uh, so I don't know. Do we want to let, let's give our rating before we go through the categories here? Just because I think we've pretty much spoiled it. Uh, <laughs> this is easily a buy. Like oh, there's no way this is not a buy. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think I mean, you, you, look, you've seen my full list of rankings, so you ultimately know where this ends up. But I mean, even saying that, like, this is just so on the same level to me as Joker in terms of a movie that just blew me away. In like, wow, like that's incredible. So yeah, absolutely same as mm-hmm. you. This, this, if we did, had watched this movie before we did that episode, this would be on my top ten list. I don't know what I would have removed, um, but hundred percent and very much near the top as yeah. well because this is just yeah. And I want to say, and like, I'm just so tempted actually go see it on the big screen maybe i will before it um it leaves just so i can actually experience it but um yeah easily easily a buy this is one of the most easiest buys i think we've ever had on this show uh now 
which category? Oh, first, uh, I just want to talk for a second about the visual effects. Uh, just going back to what you're saying. Well, you know, what? I'll get to that when we get to the the nominations here. Um, I'm just going to pull that up. I'm stalling for time. I'm stalling for time. While, while you're stalling, stalling for time, and I think we both have this is currently number one on our list too, don't we? In our rankings oh, yeah, right now. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, so then I will have number two as uh, Marriage Story. I think my number three is... Uh, I'm losing track of what movies we have. There's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> that sounds all right. I'm sorry for time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a full rankings eventually. But yeah, yeah, this is number one for me. Yeah, no, my, number one for me as well. I think I've got Hollywood at second, Marriage Story third... Um, Jojo Rabbit fourth, Irishman fifth, and Little Women sixth from memory. Uh, I didn't even say it yesterday, but at this point, it's pretty much a dead heat for last place for me for Little Women and Irishman. <laughs> I really have the same complaints about both movies, uh, so that's going to be the battle here. Uh, so, nominated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten yep. nominations. That sounds yep. right. Yep. Best Picture, Best Director for Sam Mendes, Best Original Screenplay, um, Best Original Score, Best Cinematography, Best Makeup Hairstyling, Production Design, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. Uh, let's talk about which ones it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to win cinematography, not oh, just you know, because of how great it looks. But Roger Deakins pretty much never loses cinematography as well. Um, I don't know if it's going to win original score, but for me, this was like the original score that... that I felt Im- improved the movie the most because uh, a lot of stuff we have here and maybe when we get to Joker I'll kind of revisit that because Joker scores it's not something you're going to be instantly humming but it, 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 it really did improve the mood of the movie yeah exactly but I, I felt the same way about uh, 1917 score as well uh, sound editing sound mixing I think those it, it's probably going to flip one you would often think that one movie is going to win both but this and Ford versus Ferrari, I think, are a dead heat for both of those categories. That one will probably go to this, and one will probably go to Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, I I was just thinking Ford versus Ferrari would be its biggest competition in both, and yeah, I probably I think it could take both though. Um, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I also agree. I think it could do that. Cinematography, it will win a hundred percent, no question in my mind. It will win that. Um, I think, like, I'm with you on the score. I definitely am. But I also am so... I think Joker will win that. Like, it should. Like, Joker's score is just... Mm. That's half the reason why that movie just, like... To me, that's... The entire Joker movie is kind of 50% score, 50% Joaquin. Um, like, it's just it's just a great mix. There's story in that as well. Um, but production. I... I just want to production design is a really tough one, I think, all around. Because, mm. I mean... I would scratch the Irishman from there just because I don't think there was anything that visually compelling about the, the, the sets in the Irishman. But like Jojo Rabbit, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, these are all movies taking place in all different decades, all different types of environments, but they all had to create an environment that just felt like its own. And all four of those movies, I think about the sets and I just think about how much these sets feel like the world of that movie. So I don't even know if I could make a call on that one, but I think this is definitely in the race for it it just would come down to how much i think is the sets and how much is visual effects yeah no i would agree with that too um i i honestly think though that to me this will win the big two i think this will win best picture and best director like that that's my prediction i know we usually do that in our our preview full preview episode but i'm Mm -hmm. saying it now i think this is going to win the the big two for sure all right 
I think there's another movie which we might be reviewing soon that uh, is going to be its big competition and might be a surprise. Uh, but it's definitely the front runner because it's won the Golden Globe. But I think it won the the Producers Guild and the Directors Guild, mm. um, which used to mean more than it does now. Nowadays, the Academy tends to often like to surprise people and pick something that hasn't won anything else, just so it can be their own. Uh, but visual effects, this is what I wanted to get out here. Um, so yeah, I think everybody's just conditioned to the biggest movie with the biggest effects are going to win. When you look at last decade, so the 2000s, you know, Gladiator won, Lord of the Rings won, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man 2, King Kong, Pirates of the Caribbean, Golden Compass, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, that's probably the one exception, Avatar. Uh, So always the biggest effects movies. In this decade, these are the movies that won. Inception, Hugo, Life of Pi, Gravity, Interstellar, Ex Machina, the Jungle Book, Blade Runner 2049, and First Man. I'd say at least seven of those were, were like not what you'd expect. I almost am thinking there's a trend here of let's not pick the biggest special effects movie, in which case I think this probably would go to 1917. So, I mean, I wouldn't even be shocked if this might walk away with visual effects. Yeah, I definitely see your point, but I also kind of feel that, like, on that list, so it's kind of... I feel like an Avengers movie is overdue, then, for one of these. Like, it's kind of... I mean... I mean, the Avengers is basically 90% visual effects, is it not? So, and mm-hmm. I think kind of, you can't complain about what you're seeing on your screen. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't disagree with you. I think this for sure could take it. But, I mean, I don't know. I just, I feel like the Avengers surely has to get one. Like, it it needs yeah. one. Uh, does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's better than the Rise of Skywalker and the Lion King. I mean, yes, but I mean, they put glasses on the Hulk. I mean, was there anything groundbreaking in Endgame that you're like, I've never seen a visual effect like that before? I mean, I think every my biggest argument would be this is now our, our big debate. My biggest argument, this should be for our previous episode, uh, that Avengers are just duplicating all the effects they've done in previous movies, so if they didn't reward the other ones, it almost would seem hypocritical or whatnot. But, anyways, more on a preview episode. Um,. All right, so uh, what do we have next? What's what's tomorrow? I guess are we doing Ford versus Ferrari? I think we might be doing. Um, are we doing that or Parasite? You, um, uh, what do you want to host more, Parasite or Ford versus Ferrari? <laughs> I think we. You host Parasite. Well, yeah, we'll do Ford versus Ferrari next, because I think we have time before we have to record Parasite with our special guests. <laughs> yes. Well, you, what, I, what I say is we'll, we'll release it, so we'll do Ford versus Ferrari tomorrow, because I'll, I'll, I'll host that. And then Parasite, mm-hmm. which I think we technically might be recording next, I'm sure people want to know this, uh, you can host it, <laughs> because you're also probably going to be more appropriate in hosting a movie about a Korean film. Yeah. One that you have to read, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, God, I have to fucking read a movie. I shouldn't be reading a movie. It's a movie. That's right. I don't know where Ben's ranking for that's going to come because <laughs> did he understand it? <laughs> I mean, you got me a copy with subtitles, and I asked myself for a second, like, did Ben read these? <laughs> I, I actually learned Korean. It was easy for me to learn Korean, so I didn't have to read. Basically, that's what I did. But um, sure, Ford vs Ferrari tomorrow. Matt Damon and Christian right. Bale. You can't go wrong, right? So Ford versus Ferrari, um, just a bit of a tease. Uh, I watched this on the plane to Calgary, where I am right now, and um, uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, I, I don't know if 
I think it belongs as a best picture. And again, I'm not knocking it. I'm not even saying that there's any problems I have with it. But to me, it just feels, this feels more like something that would win the Blockbuster Award or an MTV Movie Award, not necessarily an Oscar. Having said that, I think the strength of it is James Mangold, who I'm a huge fan of uh, almost every movie he's ever made. He really makes this feel like something that's more art than it is entertainment. But I think it's just, it's an all-around entertaining movie. I, I saw this in the movies when it first came out, and then I've watched it again recently, and I think Mallory and I in our review kind of said that, you know, it's a good film, um, probably more going to get uh, acting nominations than sort of a Best Picture one. It actually did honestly surprise me that it got Best Picture nomination and no none in the acting, but um, particularly for Christian Bale, I think. But, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think this is maybe one of the more just kind of standard, hey, let's throw in a an okay film and put it in there. Is it really best pitch worthy? Mm-hmm. Probably not. But um, look, I, again, I enjoy it. I, I question it being called Ford v Ferrari. I know in the, in Europe it's called Le Mans 66, which I think is a more appropriate name for it. Um, but we know the Americans, they apparently don't understand <laughs> what probably Le Mans is. Um, but yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's got a lot of things that obviously I'm a fan of in it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Uh, and you've reviewed this already, right? Yeah, we did a we did a, a review after seeing it, so uh, it'll be our second time talking about it. There's always a couple we usually do that with, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so that's tomorrow. Um, expect uh, Parasite not long after that, and then we'll wrap it up with Joker, I guess, as the final one. Uh, so as always, make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Not iTunes. (laughs) Um, But if you're looking for us on iTunes, I'm sure you'll find us on iTunes. Uh, uh, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever else. Um, And Academy Awards around the corner. Uh, we got more episodes to come. And then we're going to be getting into another month after that. uh, Canada, speaking of verses, we're going to be getting into Canada versus Australia month. And that's something exciting to come. So lots more content to come on the Oz Network. Stay tuned. My name is Colin, and <laughs> and my name is Ben, and tomorrow I'm looking forward to. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net. <laughs> <laughs>